0: get it that is exactly what you want quoted as the expert the story headline the spin every week join us to talk about all things important to relating to the public your public Craft your image, promote your products, create expert status, become the buzz. Join us with the pros. PR 101, crisis management, media blitzing, it's all here on Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you. Now, Cover Story presents exclusive coverage of the 2009 PRSA Silver Anvil Awards. Please welcome your host, Brandy Shapiro Babin.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cover Story. This is Brandy Shapiro Babin of Webmaster Radio.fm, and I am joined with Marcy Walsh, who is a Vice President and General Manager of the LA Office for CRT Tanaka. And my goodness, Marcy's background is amazing she supports uh, the customers consumer corporate and health practices with an emphasis on consumer wellness and education and consumer products and services uh, she has a category experience in health and nutrition financial services accessories cookware food Beverage. I mean, the list is unbelievable. Um, Since joining CRT Tanaka in 1996, Marcy has developed and implemented national and regional public relations and marketing programs for consumer products and services, including Atkins Advantage Fuels in LA, events and media outreach for the Schwab Financial Literacy Initiative, including its Money Wise program and provides resources for family financial fitness, targets Ready, Sit, Read early childhood literacy initiative i mean the, the the amount of um true giving back to the community is unparalleled um and we also have from Air New Zealand's corporate headquarters Sarah Miller Reeves who is the head of public relations and sponsorships for the Americas Air New Zealand welcome girls
2: thank you brandy that was quite an introduction <laughs>
1: I am blown away. I mean, the both of you bring such a breadth of background and knowledge um, to the table. And I'm so excited. You guys, um, you actually have a nomination for Air New Zealand's Pink Flight 2008. So let's talk about a little bit about the inception of this campaign, please.
2: Well, great. So um, Air New Zealand's Pink Flight 2008, um, we call it Air New Zealand's Pink Flight of Fabulosity, was basically the first ever North American gay-themed flight going to Sydney, Australia in celebration of the 2008 Sydney gay and lesbian Mardi Gras. And CRT Tanaka had um, the pleasure to join Air New Zealand in promoting this campaign by securing Kathy Griffin, the Emmy Award-winning comedian, um, and Bravo to film the Pink Flight for um, her show, My Life on the D-List. So um, it was a wonderful celebration, and it had amazing results with a 24% increase year over year in Air New Zealand sales in North American markets. So we're very excited about this award entry
1: which is super exciting now Sarah talk to me if you would I mean this is a major precedent setter in in an airline actually getting behind the gay lesbian and transgender community you know how did you guys uh, tell me about the research involved and you guys claiming stake in this emerging marketplace
3: well first of all we did invite everybody on board but however through our research we did find that um, the GLBT market is very lucrative for the travel industry. So what our research found was that regarding travel habits and spending in the US, um, about $40 billion was spent among this community in 2007. And 70% of the group actually owns a passport. So as you can tell, it's a very lucrative market and we wanted to create a fun and unique service for a target audience that had such a strong potential.
1: Now, was there any question from a corporate perspective about labeling yourselves and aligning yourselves with the GLBT um, <laughs> community?
3: No, no, not at all. Um, we thought that this initiative really added to our character um, because Air New Zealand embraces and celebrates everybody, from you know, people from all walks of life. And as a country, we're really known for our liberal approach. You know, New Zealand was the first country to uh, appoint a transgender person in parliament in 1999. So Air New Zealand really is a reflection of the country's philosophies.
1: Which is so wonderful. Have you had, like, any kind of backlash or any kind of, um, you know, community response, let's say, from this in a negative way?
3: Um, no, you're always going to receive people that that don't you know don't like anything you do, really. But the the results and the response from the community within the GLBT and then within um, our other customers was phenomenal. People really, really liked that we did this. They are asking for more initiatives that are similar to this, and so it was a resounding re, excuse me. It was a um, a huge success for us. That's that's super
1: exciting. So now you got you have this. You've got the the pink fabulosity event happening, and then you reach out to, um, you know, to the agency in regard to helping you guys create um, the contract between Kathy Griffin's crew and Bravo. Tell me what that looked like, if you would.
2: Um, and this is Marcia, I'll answer that. I think um, you know. First of all, the the goal was really to raise. Air New Zealand's um, brand awareness in the North American market, which you can imagine with all of the airlines um, and the competition in the airline industry, it's, it's a challenge. So we, you know, the idea to bring the pink flight to North America was incredible, and so many aspects of that from the pre-flight party and the drag queens that performed at that and also on board, there were so many uh, mediagenic elements to this campaign but when uh, Air New Zealand hired us, they asked us to find a way to make this um, completely something that would reach a broad, a broad segment as well as the gay and lesbian market. So, um, obviously, Kathy Griffin is popular. Um, amongst the GLBT market. She's also popular amongst the broader audience. And, you know, CRT Tanaka really saw this as a win-win opportunity for Air New Zealand and Kathy. And when we started to negotiate the contract with Kathy and Bravo, um, it was quite clear that they could see such amazing storytelling opportunities with this pink flight. So in that sense, it was a great win for Kathy and Bravo. And for us, um, you know, such a well-known celebrity to participate at a really low price point was was um, an incredible coup for us to uh, work with Air New Zealand on.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So l- let's get into, so now you've got, we, we, we've, we've got the relationship established with Kathy Griffin. Um, you guys are perceived as doing great works for, you know, the GLBT community as well as creating great brand awareness for yourselves. Now let's talk about the fun stuff. You know, all of the, the, the pre, you know, creating the, because I saw this, I you know, I did. I was, I was fortunate enough to, to see this on Bravo myself. And I thought when I watched, um, <laughs> the you know, I, I thought, wow, I would love to be on this flight. So let's talk about how you chose, because I know you had like 75, um, 75 people. It's a 200-person flight, correct? Yeah, and 200 ahead, people. Um, sorry? No, 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 and there were 75 key community figures that were invited to the pre-flight event at San Francisco International Mm -hmm. Airport. How did you choose the people that were participating in the flight itself?
2: Well, I think that the the people that participated in the flight were customers, um, by and large, and also members of the media that we invited on board. But the 200 passengers were actually customers. And then those invited to the airport were, um, you know, partners that we have in San Francisco and um, officials um, in San Francisco and folks at the airport as well as every passenger on board. So um, the folks that were on the flight itself were were customers and media, and then the folks at the airport were employees, airport employees, um, community members from San Francisco, and partners
1: you know i i also noticed what's ex- extremely exciting about this campaign is you also enrolled and engaged the employees of Air New Zealand correct
3: yes yes that was a big that was a very uh, important part for us was to engage our employees and when we first decided to roll out this idea in north america everybody was very excited to get involved in the planning process. So in addition to people's normal day-to-day jobs, they were signing up to volunteer to help planning the parties at San Francisco Airport and on board. Um, And we also have our own pride team internally. So they were very involved in helping us put this together.
2: Which is super exciting. So for you... And Brandy, um, I just wanted to add that um, one thing that was really exciting about this was that, um, you know, from a a budgetary standpoint and also a planning standpoint and a PR standpoint, um, Air New Zealand has such a great reputation with many of its partners that um, when they presented the idea of doing the Pink Flight Party and the Pink Flight itself, so many partners donated product to be part of that celebration because they really got behind this great party and this great celebration. So it really helped to offset costs that so many wonderful partners um, joined Air New Zealand by um, giving products.
3: And, and in addition so we- to Marcy's point, um, I have to say that working with the airport, they were so amazing because um, they really went above and beyond with helping us coordinate our party because we had to get food and decorations. And even our drag queens who were you know, dressed in drag, we had to figure out a way to still adhere to the strict security policies and <laughs> so we could have our event. So without to get our them partners, through security, you know, and I'm
2: sorry, Sarah, but to get the drag queens through security was um, an interesting process in itself.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. Those are, I mean, those are fun things that you probably, I mean, you'd, had you thought about those in advance?
2: Marcy. I think it all came out in the in the planning process, and Air New Zealand, um, you know, with many partners. Air New Zealand had not only a public relations partner, but, you know, an events partner, and, and uh, many folks involved, the airport particularly crucial, um, set up meetings in advance of the Pink Flight Party and the Pink Flight, a few meetings, to go over all of these kind of potential things that could happen. And those are the things that come out. You know, to go through security, you have to share your ID, and if you don't look like your ID, what right. does security do with that? <laughs> So, um, but they were very wonderful to work with and they, um, they really, really made it easy for us to ha- pull this off in the way that um, we did. And Air New Zealand was very smart in how it coordinated all of the potential um, areas that we had to look at. God, that's and that also getting media, getting a media room and getting media into the party that we're not going to be on the flight. So the airport and Air New Zealand was very smart about how they went about doing that and working with us to do that
1: which is super exciting. So let's talk about that, Sarah. I mean, you had, there are a lot of moving pieces to coordinate in regard to, you know, getting the people in, getting the events coordinated, getting the media outlets to be, you know, I mean, did you have them behind security or were the parties executed prior to security? You know, you know how, how did you, how did you plan, how long did it take you guys to pull all of these moving pieces together so that you would have something that culminated in such a huge media blitz?
3: It took a few months. I would say about four months of planning all the little details. Um, and the closer that it came to the event, um, things, you know, more and more things would come up. And that's when we worked really closely with our partners. Um, now, can you repeat your question about the media? Is that what you're asking about how we how we organize that?
1: Yeah, how you like how you organize, I mean, because my God, the airport is such a hard place mm-hmm. to, you know, obviously bring people in and out of, et cetera, et cetera. How did you how did you coordinate, you know, all of the moving pieces, you know, in regard to the media, in regard to, you know, where you were staging the the pre flight party, where how you were getting these people on board?
3: Oh, okay. So we worked very closely with the PR manager at San Francisco Airport, and what she helped us to do was to – there was a room, a media room, outside security. So we would um, direct journalists, local journalists that were not on the flight to that room where we would ID them and uh, badge them. And then they would be escorted by an official past security. And then once they were there, we took them down to the departure gate party. And um, all of them had interviews lined up with the marketing director at Air New Zealand. Um, And so we took them down there and... They performed the interview or shot, you know, did the shots that they needed, and then they um, just enjoyed themselves. (laughs) And a lot of them stayed all night because they had so much fun. Yeah, and, Brenda, the other thing that we
2: needed to do with regards to um, working with Bravo, we had to stage a separate room, obviously, for Kathy to have her own space and also for Bravo. But we needed to let everybody in the airport. And you can imagine it was quite a surprise (laughs) for the folks traveling that night to see this giant party. Um, right in the middle of the airport after they got through security um, at, at a gate. But um, we had to coordinate to make sure anybody who came to the party understood that they were being filmed and potentially could be on Bravo. And um, being very sensitive to the GLBT market, we wanted to make sure that everybody signed off to, let, you know, to make sure that they understood that when they passed a certain point, they would be filmed at that point. And they had to agree, if they wanted to get into the gate party, that they would be filmed. Um, so, you know, we, there was a lot of coordinating with Bravo around things like that to make sure that we were sensitive.
3: And another right, to people's anonymity if they wanted co- it. Right. And, and another aspect that we coordinated was doing interviews on the actual plane itself before the party started. So, several local um, news outlets would co- wanted to come and actually see the plane. So, we had to work with the San Francisco. Airport with their security with escorting people either on the tarmac because our plane had a um, you know sixty foot feather boa wrapped around its neck and we also had eyelashes on the eyes so a lot of local media wanted to and media on the flight for that matter they wanted to get that before the before the sun set so um, during the day we were really busy getting people on board. Um, and we had a couple of interviews with our marketing director in our business premier cabin, which is our premier cabin. And that was a big message point for us because um, yeah. to have the interview in our seat because it showcased our luxury seats, it showcased the product, and um, it was just very successful. We also, um, we also had to work with Bravo
2: and Kathy because um, Kathy is used to performing in a very specific um, you know, venue environment where she has the, um, the audio and the microphone works in a specific way. And as you can imagine, on an airplane, when she was performing her stand-up act, she's performing on the PA system that a flight attendant would use on an airplane. So right, we absolutely. had to work with Bravo and with Kathy to make sure she understood how to use the PA system and coordinate with her that the most passengers on board would benefit and be able to enjoy her performance. And, you know, we were able to work with her in advance so she could figure out ways to be walking through the cabins and doing things, um, you know, off the cuff so that as many passengers would get to enjoy her performance as possible.
3: And another, on top of that, something that Marcy did very well, Marcy was on the flight managing the the. Journalists that are filming and journalists that are, are that were writing, and another part of that that um, that took a lot of planning was to make sure that the journalists that were filming on board weren't shooting Kathy's stand-up because we had an agreement with Bravo that that could not be exclusivity. so that that right. took, um, excuse me. No,
1: no, no. I agree with you. I mean, that's in a very small in a in a very small arena. That's extremely hard to you know, get everyone what they need while still maintaining the integrity of, of your contract with um with Kathy and Bravo. No, absolutely. Which was, and
3: the was basically two different we're, were too. very respectful of that, and we worked very closely on what they were allowed to. You know, we didn't we didn't say that they couldn't cover things, but they we told them what our contract was and said. We, you know, you can't talk, you know, show this, you know, we gave them the parameters and they were really respectful of that.
2: And the reason they were really respectful is that we were able to set up separate interviews one-on-one with them and Kathy, which it was kind of, you know, that was more what they were interested in anyway. So it was, you know, we were able to sell them on the idea of not shooting her stand up because we would give them a one-on-one interview with her on board. So um, that was wonderful. The other thing about Kathy, um, and this is, you know, this is pre-flight, this was a month before the flight, um, was just as we signed the contract, she was doing, I think it was CNN's um, New Year's Eve celebration, and she announced her participation, so the minute she signed the contract, she started promoting this flight for Air New Zealand, so it really was a great relationship all the way around. So terrific, and
1: I think it's, you know, I think really what people need to listen to in, in this interview and your nomination for this really important award is you took Every population that is important to Air New Zealand into account to not only do something that, you know, related you guys, which is very difficult to do. You did something that was very difficult to do in separating yourself from other, you know, airlines in that you... Differentiated yourselves. You enrolled your employees. The employees of Air New Zealand participate in this, um, which of course, you know, enthusiasm breeds enthusiasm, and obviously executes a much better plan. Um, I love the fact that you reached out to different partners, so you were able to come in, you know, at budget, two hundred thousand dollars for budget. Um, You know, and let's see, I mean, some of your, my goodness, some of your accomplishments here, pulling in your partners, giving them extra exposure, allowing them to help you keep your costs down, I think is tremendous. Um, Pulling in Kathy, who does have a strong appeal to um, the GLBT marketplace, as well as. Um, you know the the you know, straight community, so to speak, um, allowed you to straddle both spaces and make it sticky and compelling for everyone, um, which is important. And of course, align your New Zealand with um, with the country of New Zealand and your policies and, and the way that you posture yourself. So. Uh, Really tremendous, and by the end of 2008, the pink flight had generated almost 400 million impressions with a publicity value of 13 million dollars. And then, in addition, the focus on the flight during the episode of Bravo's *Kathy Griffin: My Life on the D-List* had significant media success, which included *The Tonight Show* with Jay Leno, *The MSNBC Live*. Early Today, Reuters, San Francisco Chronicle, Star Magazine, CBS News Logo, Metrosource, Advocate, and The Out Traveling, and of course now, Webmaster Radio. Uh, yay. So, <laughs> yay. I look at that. So something that cost you guys $200,000 garnered you 13, over $13 million in PR value.
2: And Brandy, that that continues to grow. I mean, even this week I was watching, um, you know, Kathy's Stand Up Act, and she mentioned her participation on the Pink Flight. I mean, you know, it continues to get coverage. And so it's a very exciting um, campaign that just continues to live on.
1: Absolutely. I just, you know, congratulations to Air New Zealand, um, to, you know, to CRT Tanaka. Both of you are inspiring. We wish you... Oh, goodness. Sorry. We wish you only the best, and uh, uh, I'm just going to be rooting for you guys to win, because I think this is such a breakthrough campaign, truly a breakthrough campaign, and something that other people will have the opportunity to look at and hopefully be able to take some of your leadership and employ in their own, in their own surroundings. Thank you. Thank so. you. Yay. So I just want to say a very special thank you to Marcy Walsh, Vice President General Manager. Oh, goodness. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to take a second. And I apologize. I'm going to be completely unprofessional. I did. I took a horrible scooter spill and um, I'm just in a ton of pain. So oh, my am sorry. Brain is no, like, I'm sorry. No, and I'm sorry because to be honest with you, I am so inspired by what you guys have achieved, you know, mm-hmm. both in obviously, you know, what your budget was and what your goals were, Um you know, I think that you've, you, you've made a real statement with this. And it's nice to see you benefiting yourself and then benefiting a lot of other communities as well. And, um, yeah, I'm a little sensitive to the fact that I'm not as sharp as I'd like to be today. So
3: I'm apologizing. Yeah. You've done a great job at the interview. Thank you.
1: Oh, well, you're lovely, and I, I reserve the right to reach out to you again to make sure that it meets my standards, because the both of you deserve such high kudos for what, um, for what you've done. I just, I think this is tremendous. You know, okay. I, I, I watched the, you know, the Kathy Griffin special in preparation to this. I had seen it previously. So I just think that you guys did, from an outreach standpoint, like you knocked mm-hmm. the cover off the ball.
3: Oh, thank, thank you. you. You know, what? I do want to make one other point, if that's okay. Brandy. Um, yeah, absolutely. Sarah. Oh, okay, great. Thanks. Uh, I just wanted to say that all of our campaigns, we we approach it with the our Kiwi mentality of being quirky and innovative and thinking outside of the box. So this is just one out of many things that we've been working on to have such a great success. And, to provide our customers and um, with a very unique service. So we have other campaigns that we've done that have been very kind of quirky and have really raised the bar when it comes to uh, marketing and public relations. And CRT Tanaka has been amazing, and they've been such a wonderful partner, and they continue to bring wonderful ideas to us that are aligned with our brand and how we approach marketing good for you.
1: I love hearing I love hearing happy clients and and happy agencies working together.
3: It's a love relationship.
1: You know what? Happiness breeds happiness and when you have a partnership that works and you both inspire each other then you know you can't help but exceed your goals. So I just want to say a very special thank you to Marcy Walsh Vice President General Manager for the LA Office of CRT Tanaka and Sarah Miller-Reeves Public Relations and Sponsorship Director for the American for Air New Zealand, I wish you both the best of luck when it comes to this nomination, and I do. I think that um, you've done a great job of personifying um, the Kiwi mentality in this, and really reaching above and beyond. Um, Just a great, great campaign, and a great breakaway campaign. So, um, we look forward to having you back again in the very near future to discuss all your other fun programs that you have. I think it's inspirational for our listening audience.
4: Great, thank you.
0: Stay tuned for more 2009 PRSA Silver Anvil Awards coverage. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Stick around. Cover story. We'll be back after this short break.
5: maximum exposure to over 70 million people in the u.s alone if this were a real pr web release date your website would have so much traffic you'd be tempted to duck and cover if you have an online marketing emergency go to prweboffer.com for 25 percent off pr web the premier online release news and content distribution service Here's your bill. to demand. I'm telling you, this network is recession proof.
0: Revenue Wire, the recession proof network platform. For more information, visit RevenueWire.com today. That's RevenueWire.com. Commercials off. Now back to cover story. We're reserving a headline for you only on Webmaster Radio.fm. Here's your host. Welcome back to our exclusive coverage of the 2009 PRSA. Silver Anvil Awards. Once again, here's Brandi shapiro Babbitt.
1: Sherry Goldman is a seasoned communications professional with more than 25 years' experience in the public relations, publishing, and broadcast field. Um, as a president of Goldman Communications Group, she's developed and implemented communications program addressing brand and corporate objectives for a wide range of clients, including First Brands Corporations, Boehringer. Okay, I'm not doing that. Oh Baby Toys, Dell Laboratories, Writers Guild of America East, Seto Holdings, and a myriad of other companies. She has a tremendous background in the public relations field and broadcasting, and she's president of um, Goldman Communications. Welcome, Sherry Goldman.
4: Thanks, Brandy. It's nice to be back.
1: It's nice to be back. You and I get to do this like twice a year, and it's always such a wonderful thing for me to look forward to. Yeah, and
4: this time I think I'm where are wearing a different hat, so that's even nice for me. It, it It is,
1: it is. I heard it's a nice, relaxing year for you, and this is the first time since, what, 92 you've actually had the time to submit an entry for the silver anvils?
4: Had the time and had, um, I guess, the opportunity to have a, work with a client that really, you know, have a program that I really thought was of the caliber of a silver anvil program. You know, you can work for a lot of clients in this business um, and do good work, but it doesn't always fit the silver anvil criteria, and this one did, and and then crisis communications,
1: no less. Absolutely, which I know is such a strong suit for you, and it's something that's so very important in today's economy and today's structure. So let's talk about this. You submitted for the Writers Guild of America East, which is a labor union representing TV, film, radio, news, and new media writers east of the Mississippi. And we discussed this a little bit last year, and this year you got to actually um, submit for this. So can you give us some background on the submission, please?
4: Sure. Well, basically, um, we are the public relations agency for the Writers Guild of America East, and along with the Sister Agents Sister Guild, the Writers Guild of America West, um, represent all of the writers, well, most of the writers in TV, film, and radio, news, new media. And as most people probably remember, last year, or starting in November 2007, the TV and film writers went on strike and had a 100-day strike against major corporations um, who did not want to compensate them for their work in new media going forward, which effectively shut down television in this country, or new television production in this country, and film production. And it was the first major strike since 88, and it really shut down the entire industry and has been deemed probably the first strike of the 21st century, or the strike of the mind, as they say, because the business has so changed that work is now being shown, as you know, on YouTube and on the internet and every TV station or or network company has their own website and it's streaming and the way that we all get our information and our entertainment is changing and Uh writers per se wanted, as the first guild in, wanted to make sure that the whole creative community got compensated for that. Their livelihoods were really going to be threatened by this forever. So it was tremendous solidarity, Um, but they went on strike and certainly a strike against the media, the media that you actually need to try to get your message out, it's a very challenging opportunity.
1: Absolutely. So let's talk about, you know, some of the research that went in in posturing and positioning them in regard to the strike.
4: Sure, and the research was twofold, because certainly the research that the guild did was to understand when they went to sit down at the bargaining table Um, what would be important to get for their membership, their membership being writers. And as we all understood that um, new media was going to be it. Very soon you're going to plug your computers into your television sets or vice versa, Um, and you're going to watch it on a computer screen. And the way the contracts were, if it watched it on a computer screen, screen writers did not get compensated for it. Now with Hulu and YouTube and, you know, NBC.com streaming everything, or shows like Heroes or 24 that never rerun on television because they're serialized, there was no um, money for the creative community in residuals. So it was imperative as things transitioned to new media or being written directly as webisodes for the web or mobisodes, those two-minute snippets for your mobile Uh phones, that the creative community got compensated. We needed to understand all of that, in terms of where that to the revenue stream of the corporations, um, they were telling us they made no money, but they were telling Wall Street they were make it was you know lucrative beyond belief. Um, we needed to analyze the media that we would be working with and and see who they actually were owned by and how they relied on these companies for advertising. That was critical as well. We really needed to understand how the industry was preparing for a strike. They were doing such stockpiling. That in essence, one of the things that they needed to do in terms of deciding how to get member solidarity and go forward was was in somewhat the element of surprise. That actually going by ourselves and sort of instead of waiting for everyone else and sort of seeing what would happen, they they were so the industry was being so prepared that we needed to sort of try and wrestle control back into our own hands.
1: Okay, so let's let's talk about you know posturing and wrestling control back into. Um, the hands of of the Writers Guild East.
4: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, one of the things that we did do, and we sort of switched very late in stream because our contract for the Writers Guild ended October 31st and the actors didn't expire until June the following year, and everyone believed the actors and writers should go out together because that would effectively shut down the industry, is we understood that we couldn't do that. They would be such stockpiled that probably they'd have a year worth of content. We had to get all the industries on board to understand we needed to go it alone and get our members on board to understand that. I think the messaging that was come up with was if you get paid, we get paid, was simple. Everyone understood it, and you didn't have to be a writer or a producer or a director. You could work on the assembly line at GM and understand that. If a Mm -hmm. company makes money, everybody whose efforts go into it should be able to reap their rewards, so to speak. Um, We had to take the information that the companies had and sort of turn it around them to use it and say, here's what they're saying, and here's what they're not giving us. And we had a very short time window to go on. Um, The strike started November 5th um, when we hit impasse at the bargaining table. And, you know, 12,000, I'm sorry, there were 10,500 writers that were on the street on the picket lines, about 2,500 of them in New York. it's very interesting to be picketing on the streets of New York. It's and crazy, New York and right? And New East Coast faced one other challenge, because everyone viewed this as Hollywood, but New York itself.
5: Um, has a huge challenge. 2,500
4: writers in New York. Very mm-hmm. powerful. A lot of, some television is done here. More and more is being done here. A lot of films are being done here. And New York really wrestled. The East Coast writers wrestled to make sure that they were not the forgotten bunch in, in the strike, that they really had an identity and a growing piece of this industry that they wanted to hold on to. We also were the home of most of the late-night shows, Saturday Night Live, Conan O'Brien, David Letterman, Comedy Central shows, Jon Stewart, The Colbert Report, were all done in New York, and those writers went on strike that day. And those shows shut down immediately because they're daily shows and written daily.
1: Which is important. And then you also did, I mean, Ellen DeGeneres was doing A Week in New York, yes?
4: she had planned to do a week in New York, yes. And and she technically is a member of the Writers Guild as well as a member of other um unions like After for Entertainment. And she came out in solidarity for day one on her picket line and went back and had so planned to come to New York and our writers were totally incensed that we planned to picket on her and we actually did an open letter to her and told her, Ellen, stay home, we don't want you. You know, she and spent she more did. Time crying about a dog that she had had. Basically, then her writers, who's you know people that she works with, her colleagues that that help make her funny and and really support her. You know, when you work in an organization, you're a team. Mm-hmm. And she was didn't see that. And we got her to cancel her trip to New York. And and. We didn't want her here. You know, that was, we wanted no part of, of her doing that. We, we thought what she was doing was wrong by not being supporting writers in the community. And that was a really major opportunity for us, as much as she thought we personally attacked her. We were, personal, we were attacking the concept of how could she cross a picket line and think what she was doing was correct and not supporting the people and the writers in the community that, that she works with. Well, and, and, and that helped also, us tremendously because that. I'm sorry, Brandy?
1: No, no, no. I was going to say to you. you hold on,
0: hold on. Real quick, let's just take a pause, real quick, right there.
1: Oh, sure. what I was going to say to you was this also led to Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, like a lot of people actually canceling.
4: The, yes, know, and that their was all Thanksgiving weekend, show. I must tell you. <laughs> yes, it did. I, I think people saw that. You know what? It was not okay to. Um, sort of say one thing and then do something else. And that the writers really did have a good point of view and they were not being greedy. They were really just asking for a fair share. And the, the certainly the politicians or the people in, in the political process understood that crossing a picket line at the view and other talk shows was, was not a good idea. And they publicly came out and supported the writers. And as they did it one by one, it just it really helped keep the writers motivated, um, help improve their solidarity, and help keep our visibility in the media, because that became news that had to be covered. You know, strikes are fun or interesting for the media perhaps to cover the first day. There was 100 media at the first day. When you hit day 37 or day 72, how do you sort of keep that alive? Because you don't want people to forget your cause. You need to put pressure to help go back to the bargaining table. And that was very, very important and helpful to us.
1: What do you think? So let's, let's talk about the key components that help keep this. I mean, because like you said, my God, day 37, it gets a little stale. So let's talk about some of the things that allowed you guys to keep lift on this campaign, enroll supporters, and obviously um, lead you where you needed to go, which was to, um, you know, to come to a 51% on, on where, where things needed to go with a contract, with a writer's contract.
4: Um, We sort of kept it alive. We were on the streets all the time in terms of media outreach every day. We would tell key media where we were going to be, who was on the picket line, recaps every day. We tried to do a lot of kind of events. We had a Solidarity Day rally in New York. Um, We did right before the Oscars. We had a photo op timed with, I think, 40 Oscar winners, including Celeste Holm and Emmy Award winners saying they'd give up their awards for a new contract. We did a lot. We did... Outreach to Wall Street, um, which is very helpful. We did a whole Bear Stearns analyst call, for example, that um, Bear Stearns released a report saying the writers aren't asking for much, and it would have no impact on the corporate um, profitability if they gave the writers what they want. And God, that helped us tremendously. We did a day lobbying in Congress, and we did a mock debate with the writers of The Daily Show and the Colbert Report representing each side, and... um, and did lobbying, but that that mock debate in Congress, which was just so much fun, um, generated tremendous media coverage, buzz and converts it, it lived on the internet. The writers themselves did a tremendous amount of um, viral videos. you know New media was the issue in this strike, and we actually used new media and showed the power of it. We did mock videos on that were answered on YouTube. We set up our own blogs and we're blogging to each other. Um, and all the things they said didn't increase revenues and people didn't watch, reused.
1: Yeah, And you also encouraged um, your members, Sherry, to have their own websites as well, put out their videos and, and promote it to be able to use this as an example for, for how viral video and new media is actually impacting their jobs and, and the lift of, of yeah. each television show.
4: We actually did encourage them. I mean, we were very, um, they were very knowledgeable about the issues. Every day we updated them, where they went. They did have copy points. I would help them in terms of messaging if they want, but certainly they're a lot more creative minds than we are. And um, they really they have tremendous ownership over getting a new contract. They tremendously were committed, and they really, really wanted to do whatever they could, and their talents are creative. And it was a tremendous asset to be able to leverage it and use this, and, and they wanted to help in any way possible. And I think that was tremendous. Um, I think the the companies that we negotiated underestimated the solidarity. or well, they thought you know people would lose faith, you know, lose, lose impetus after a couple of days or weeks and go back and cross picket the lines. They underestimated the public would be unsupport. They thought the public would be unsupportive, and they were not. And eventually all of this um, and the fan clubs were tremendous and we helped the fan clubs and we encouraged them. And all this put pressure that the companies had to eventually give us a contract. The writers now get a percentage of the producers' gross of new media revenues. And what it does, it's a small percentage, but it sets a precedent for going forward for writers as well as the whole creative community that new media is the future, and we are now in it with them. And that's tremendous, and that just shows by... Um, 90, almost ninety four percent of the members ratifying the contract um, we only needed fifty one percent and ninety four percent of the members ratified the contract and that 's just wow fabulous. that is yeah. so
1: super like that is so super exciting i mean it 's an exciting campaign for you to dig your, you know, dig your teeth into, but to know that you made such a positive difference in so many people 's lives and especially today when you look at you know um, different consortiums or different um, guilds, that people are, are, you know, you have to band together and you have to hope that the mission of, of the company is the right mission for you, and to know mm-hmm. that everyone was truly take care of their today's and tomorrow's thought of
4: as, as a group with yeah, you spearheading think, this. Yeah, and I, I think you bring up a good point, Brandy, because a lot of the writers, you know, you lose, in the case of a strike, for example, the, the writers that write on these daily or weekly comedy shows lost a lot more money than perhaps they'd ever recoup. But they understood, there was such groundwork and member relations going prior to the strike, they understood that their efforts would help save this industry. So it was not about only the present, it was about the future. Everybody bought into it. Nobody was greedy. Everybody understood that they needed to do it together, that we really couldn't have any chinks in the armor or cracks. And when you think of 100 days and striking in New York when it is, three degrees outside, in the hail, in the snow, in ticket lines, is not very pleasant. But um, they made it fun. They made it interesting. And and they just made it committed. They showed up, and everybody understood that they were only going to succeed if they succeeded together. And and the solidarity still maintains. I mean, they still actually keep in touch. Um, Writers, as you know, are, are People that work by themselves or in small teams—they had never met each other for 40s before the strike—and now they're working together on other projects and brainstorming and doing creative things. So there really was a lot of positive that came out of this. Um, but as any crisis communications. Um, but there wasn't a lot of pre-planning. You just have to sort of use your smarts, and you talk even about Ellen DeGeneres. When opportunities hit, you just, we needed to jump on them. Just you make a best Absolutely. guess on how to handle it and smart, but you have to jump. There's not a whole lot of time to sort of think about maybe this, maybe that. You just really have to seize the moment.
1: Absolutely. So I've got two more questions for you, and then we have to put a nice little bow sure. on this, and then you know um, <laughs> rally you on um, for the June for for the June show. But you know, two things. Thank One you. is how do you how do you approach Washington and say hi? We want to do a mock, you know, a mock debate in Congress. Like, how do they even allow the something like allow- that?
4: Um, we over the years we've actually. Um, Engaged a lot of some of senators because one of the other sets of writers that weren't on strike were news writers that write for CBS or ABC or things like that. Um, so we we deal with them on issues such as news quality. So we years of conversations and then lob, you know lobbyists helped us and we said here's our idea we wanted to do that. It's very interesting writers um, per se are certainly. I should say, um, congressmen are kind of, I don't want to say starstruck, but they were really um, bowled over that the writers wanted to come down and do something that was fun like this. You know, it's kind of a little bit of celebrity in their backyard, and they enjoyed that.
1: Which is, I mean, which is, I mean, it's super exciting and also allows people to, you know, it also, I would assume, encouraged people and enrolled people in ways that maybe they wouldn't have paid attention you know, the American people specifically. Um, Absolutely right.
4: I think it even engaged the people working in Congress or their staffs to be engaged because they saw something that was funny mm -hmm. and came down and did some kind of funny mock debate, and yet it had a real serious message. They got it. And sometimes, you know, humor is a great way to get your point across.
1: Well, you do. Things need, you know, I'm a big, firm believer of, you know, a little levity never hurt anybody.
4: You Absolutely. know, and that's
1: you know when you are really arduous and overly serious, I think it's hard for people to consume information. But if you can add a little levity to it, you know, when in a good dose of 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 human nature, then I think you've mm-hmm. got you know a a great recipe for enrolling people and how, allowing you, which you guys did a phenomenal job of taking. A strike And turning it around so that it impacted people in a positive way, like you said, today and for people's tomorrows, because technology is moving at a rapid rate right now and new media is changing every single day. And these writers do need an insurance policy that they will be um, that they will be taken care of financially as all of these new offshoots of new media are applied to you know, the world and beyond. Yay.
4: Absolutely. Writers and directors and producers and actors. And we were very concerned that the public would turn against us because, let's face it, if you went home at night and your favorite TV show, and meet show immediately went into reruns, we weren't exactly going to be so popular. So the fact that we were able to get public support on our side was no easy feat because <laughs> we took their TV <laughs> away from them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But I will say just, you know, I have, I have friends in the industry and just, you know, and just own because obviously, Sherry, we interviewed you several times last year. And, you know, absolutely, you know, and we had friends who were on the set of Samantha Who. And when, you know, she was going to have to, t- you know, I think they took off, you know, the three months for the show. I mean, she was super supportive, everyone taking time off. And I think she spoke publicly about it. And I think that's what's so important is that people, yes, people like me would come home and feel very sad that, oh, my goodness, our favorite shows aren't on TV. But when you had this stars and the producers and the directors supporting this and, and hitting home and saying, hey, this could happen to you in your own arena. This is something that everyone can understand, support it. I you know, I think that, that from a like a public opinion standpoint, I think that you guys did a wonderful job of not only reaching, you know, the people that you needed to to clear up the contract issues, but also enrolling and, and making people understand in America how this is impacting the writers, and, and, and just people in general with the, with the advent of the Internet and all of the new media um, outlets that are out there.
4: I think the writers were the guinea pigs. The actors knew mm-hmm. that we were doing this for them. Their contract was a few months later, and um, Christina Applegate did start in a couple of those um, viral videos. So, you know, the people that worked on casts and crews are really a team, and they were very supportive. We, in essence, took the bullet for them, And they were really great about being supportive, and it helped tremendously. It really did. When people were at home, you're at home sitting home, and you see your favorite TV story. You may not know who writes it, but you see the people that you see on the screen being supportive or understanding or saying it's important. It really helped. It went a very long way.
1: This is terrific. Sherry, thank you so much.
0: You have been listening to our exclusive coverage of the 2009 PRSA. Silver Anvil Awards Only on WebmasterRadio.fm